Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley. Welcome to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Today we have Lisa Robertson back on with us again. She was on with us last September in 2021, talking about angel numbers. So I'm so glad to have her back on again. She is an international best-selling author with Llewellyn Worldwide. She is a girl from the Aussie bush, living her best life in Las Vegas, Nevada, with her wife. Um, when she is not writing books or creating decks, she is helping other writers bring their dream of publishing into reality. Today, we're going to talk about her newest book, The uh, Tarot Princess. And welcome back to the show, Lisa. So glad to have you here. Thank you. Was it really September? It seems like it was yesterday. <laughs> I know. The world is spinning so fast. Let's hope it doesn't throw us off. <laughs> I'm probably okay with that at the moment. <laughs> right. <laughs> in a way, I understand that too. And in the first part of your book um, is a great thing about women losing their power. <laughs> and I am going to ask you to go into it, get, you know, <laughs> let loose. <laughs> yeah, well, the political landscape in the U.S. right now is... is um, volatile to say the least oh yeah uh, you know and it's and it's interesting from my perspective ha having not grown up in this country mm -hmm. um to see how the entire body politic is playing out in the u.s as regards to women's rights women's body autonomy uh female sovereignty what it means to be a woman what it means to be just a sovereign human being Mm -hmm. So I guess in a little way, I, I still feel a bit of an observer to the battle here <laughs> as opposed to a part of it. <laughs> Be careful, though. You can get caught, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, here's where it's interesting, I guess, because medically speaking, um, I'm in that age of my life where this lore as it currently stands, the Roe versus Wade actually isn't quite relevant to me. And I think that's what's mm -hmm. interesting is that uh, women who are going through menopause or postmenopausal have a, you know, who I actually think are probably who did the groundwork for this law, who fought really hard yeah. for this law so that future generations wouldn't have to go through what they went through in this country. Um, it is interesting because I speak to, when the Mermaid Terror came out, I actually talked about Roe versus Wade, mm. um, and I talked about <laughs> how we, how this women in this country were in danger of losing things that they had started to take for granted, and there were a lot of women in their late twenties and early thirties who told me that I didn't know what I was talking about. I was a foreigner, and that there was no way in a country as free as this one that women would lose any sort of value. And I, said, I well, have to say that I agreed with them. I never thought it'd be turned back. I, I and I I was I'm of the age where I fought for it the first time and I never thought it'd be, you know, turned back, you know, that we would lose um, the right to control our own bodies. As you an know, outsider, it looked very obvious to me. Yeah, I, I can't believe it. <laughs> Even now. Right. You know, to take half, to take power away from half the population and tell them that they don't have control over their own bodies. And most, and the other half of the population doesn't, isn't aware of what this really means. You know, it's, it's right to privacy, you know, and it's, Right. But I think that's the bit that I was cautioning younger women about and was told I was a delusional foreigner who should probably keep her nose in her own country's politics. And I said, well, I have we have universal health care. So sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I guess. laughs> but, you know, it was interesting 
uh, writing the priestess book coming from a totally different experience, I guess. Now I should say like, you know, Australia's progress hasn't exactly been without its problems. (laughs) And I remember Mm -hmm. in, um, when I had my, my last child in 96 and I remember asking for my tubes to be tied. And even then I could not make that decision. It had to be, yeah, no, it had to either be my husband or my, or the next male in my family, um, because in in ninety seven in ninety six in ninety yeah, it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> in ninety six yeah and and wow. I I remember nineteen ninety six not eighteen ninety six and I remember like looking at the midwife going what are you talking about right and she's like well you know that's just current law right this second oh, so. It, it is and that those, was in Australia. And that was in Australia. That was in Melbourne, Victoria. Now, I think the law changed not long after that. But one of the reasons that I bumped up against stuff is because apparently I was too young for that particular procedure, which is why consent was required. But I, I like said to her, listen, if I'm old enough to have had three children, I'm definitely old right. enough to know that I don't want any more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it and was, it's your body. <laughs> it was you my, know. Exactly. It was <laughs> it's my your body. body. Yeah. <laughs> and the third one kind of screwed the body up in ways that it was never going to recover from again. Right. Wow. And I think that was interesting because while I was right. And the reason I bring that up is the, is while I was writing this priestess book, I actually started having problems with my hip and the problems that I have been having with my hip are a direct result from the birth of my third child. Right. Yeah. And as I was doing the 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 temple with Danu, which is which we'll get into later, a lot of that birth trauma came up for me. Mm. And I think that is one of the things that we don't talk about very often because society has brainwashed us to believe that, you know, birth is natural, birth is beautiful, every every woman does it. It's just the most right. natural thing in the world. Nothing to it. There's nothing to it, <laughs> right, which is why yeah. men don't do it. Um, but we don't talk about trauma that can be associated with childbirth. And so while I was doing some of the work through that particular temple, I was talking to other women who also had suffered trauma during birth. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about how that stays in the memory of the body, that stays in the memory of the psyche. And part of not being able to do it easily and effortlessly also stays within the psyche of success because if we can't do something that society has told us is normal and easy and everyone does it, but you can't do it easily and effortlessly and you struggle and it's traumatic. You failed, yeah. You must have failed. Right. right. <laughs> and then with the fertility rate going down, so many women feel uh, as failures, as if this, this was their only role. Exactly. Exactly. And I remember my first child didn't breastfeed. Like she wouldn't latch. She was so lazy. Like the whole idea of sucking, she just looked at me like, yeah, you've got to be kidding. There's got to be an easier way to do this. And, yeah. and that was, that was another thing that like brings up a trauma for, for a woman is like, oh my God, I can't even feed my own child. I can't provide nourishment for this being that I've brought into the world. And we don't look at how all of this stuff layers and layers and layers on itself till we start identifying with failures with just one part of who we are. And the priestess book in many ways dragged me back through all of the times that I thought I had failed as a woman and gave me an opportunity to explore that all over again through the lens of the priestessing path, through the cards, and lovingly through the arms of the goddess. Mm-hmm. And um, you spelled it W-O-M-X-N. The inclusive spelling, yes. Yes. I never saw that before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a neophyte with this. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't realize that. But um, but it really is the reason we're bringing all this up is this is the priestess path. 
Yes. And and um of of power and ownership and responsibility and in her own right. And that's how you start your book. Yes, I do. I talk about how when one identifies as a woman, one takes on a journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's quite the journey. <laughs> it is yeah. definitely quite the journey. And it's it's not the journey that television tells us it's going to be it's not the journey church tells us it's going to be and it's definitely not the journey stuff suits in political office tell us it's going to be Mm -hmm. unfortunately you mean we're we can't go skipping down that wonderful (laughs) little (laughs) we just show on tv no (laughs) right (laughs) i know (laughs) Well, you know, in being a powerful priestess, to being a powerful woman also frees up the male. And this is um, for people who weren't around in the 70s um, when with Roe versus Wade. It was not only given woman power, but it was freeing the man too, the male too, to so everybody had choice over their lives. And that was the goal. So I wanted to get that in there, how important it is that everybody be powerful in their own right. But now we'll come back to the priestess. <laughs> well, and I think that's part of the priestess philosophy too. Like in, in my mind, that's why I wrote this as an inclusive book. Um, the, the priestess path is a rejection of patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. It is a rejection of structures of oppression. It's about decolonizing the body, decolonizing the mind, and looking at reparations and what that means. Um, because when we, when we walk a priestess path, we have to acknowledge how damaging systems of oppression are. Mm-hmm. Because in order to get to power, we must first see how we have been oppressed or how we have upheld oppressive systems. Um, in order to get to true power. You know, I'm a big believer in that none of us will rise while some of us are suffering and falling. Mm -hmm. And that's true for all women. If if we are still subject to violence in public spaces and people would rather put on a camera and live stream it than help, then none of us are rising right? Mm-hmm. We're still all failing at some level. We're still all falling to a patriarchal system. And the path to the priestess frees us from that. It gives us another way. It, it shows us that there is another way to live, another way to give, another way to love, and a, and a, and a truer path to freedom. Mm-hmm. And if, if everybody's not free, no one is free. No one is free. Yeah. It's, it's all or nothing. All mm-hmm. or nothing. Um, now in this book, you talk about the, and let me know if I'm jumping ahead because, uh, you know, not in the right, flow. <laughs> but wait a minute, let me look. Um, so now you wrote this book a year ago. It just happened to come out in the perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, I'm trying to think, when did I actually finish? I think I actually finished writing this book at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Because I wrote three books back to back. So there was right. this one, then the mermaid one, and then the angel one uh, the, that comes out next year. So I did write this book. It's not quite a year since we finished and revised it and edited it and went over it again. Yeah, yeah. It's just the timing is The timing. <laughs> we did not did not know. We did not plan that. <laughs> right. Although what you're saying is you warned everybody. <laughs> you just didn't know the timing. <laughs> but why? So a year ago, why were you coming out with this book then? You know, why the, you know, why the priestess and why then? Or you just saw the headwinds. You saw the. Yeah. Well, I think, well, I think I have seen. Yeah. yeah. I think we've all seen the headwinds if we were paying attention. And, and, but I also believe that we are getting to a point in our in our history where patriarchy is not working. Patriarchal capitalism is just not working. It's not mm-hmm. working anymore. It's not that we're not saying you shouldn't have money or a path to wealth, but we are saying that 
we have to be more mindful of what we're doing to other people and the earth and our connection to it. Like mm-hmm. I know Elon Musk thinks that we have a backup planet, but it might be good if we could clean this one up a little bit before, right. like, you know, you leave everyone here who can't afford to go. Um, mm-hmm. Someone's going to be left here. <laughs> Majority of us are going to be left here. <laughs> right? Those rich guys are all trying to run away. You know, <laughs> and, and you what, know, we look at them and say, "Why are you running away?" You look, know, I'm, what do we know? I'm all for space ex- exploration. I really am. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love technology. I love the the fact that humans are going to be more than you know we're gonna be multi-planetary i mean that's that's a given and yeah. i don't think we can deny that i don't think we can deny the evolution of our species i don't think we can deny but that the fact- feeling of i've got to get out of here right <laughs> i don't think we can you deny know. that but i think there's a difference between understanding where the human species is going and the predicament in which we stand and to me coming back to the goddess coming back to a form of of um more feminine experience, more inclusivity and and listening to minorities, that's the path to the evolution. What Mm -hmm. I see, on the other hand, is a path to fast self-destruction. So it is interesting that we stand at the preface at, at this particular point of conscious expansion and conscious awareness where we are saying there are two paths and which one will you go down? And I don't believe we all have to go down the same path, to be perfectly honest. I just want to say that. I don't believe, like, we have to form some sort of cult consciousness and and round people up. Like, free will still stands. But if we can... I hope so. (laughs) It still stands. (laughs) But if we can learn that the journey is not outside of us, it is inside of us, and exploration comes from the inside out, then, you know we will then see more people choose a different way. And I think we are, like, I think we are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons all of this stuff is coming up. And I think it's why a lot of people um, within the spiritual community saw this coming up because we are at that real, you know, my wife always describes it as a slingshot. You know, that tension is so oh, is yeah. so intense yeah. right now, right? right? So things that haven't been permanently set in stone, are now falling off that tent slingshot and we're being asked, so do you want to put them back on and shoot them into the future or are they lost forever? But here's the thing. The majority of people aren't getting the choice. You know, in the United States, I'm talking, you know, when when we look at nine people, unelected people making a decision that the majority of people don't want to do, you know, Is it our choice? So I think one of the teachings of the priestess path here is saying, but it was never ratified. I know. Right? (laughs) I know. know. Us in Afghanistan. (laughs) So we have to look at the truth of the situation here. We have to look at the fact that it wasn't followed through. Mm -hmm. We only got halfway into the journey. Right. And, and we were good to go. That's really <laughs> right. You only got yeah. halfway into the journey and you decided that the halfway point was the destination. Mm-hmm. Whereas another group of people saw the halfway point as an opportunity to create a brand new destination. Yeah. So that is why yeah. now you're getting the opportunity to say, well, if this is something you truly, really, 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 really want and you want to make it a permanent fixture, here's where well, you've got to like pick it up from the halfway point and to use a U.S. football analogy, get it down the field <laughs> through the right. goalpost, right. right, once and for all and put it on the scoreboard so it can't be it can't be taken away. And I think that's I think that's true for a lot of things that I have seen as an outsider in the US, especially as far as progressive politics goes, is progressives kind of like take a small win as a big win mm. rather than saying, okay, so that was just the first hurdle. Great. Now let's go and win all the others so that we don't have to come back and play this again. It seems mm. to me like progressives get really excited about the small win, go, yay, we did it. And then they drop the ball. Right. That's because we don't want to really fight in the first place. <laughs> and it's like, then it's not it's done. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was a fight. It was a bloody fight at the time. 
you know, and and that that you know, um, feminism was a fight globally in Western cultures. I don't think you come out of a Western country without fighting. I've been on picket lines. I've been on protests. I, Mm -hmm. you know, I've you know, I have definitely, I have definitely walked the path of the the of the priestess of wands in here, and you know, and I have I have done that. I've protested wars. I've protested laws. I've protested you know, aggressors. In Australia, we would often protest our national holiday as being part of a colonising festival, you know, and to decolonise these these holidays and get rid of them. So it's not like I, I am just talking a talk. I've been there. I've been on the front lines of the pickets. Mm-hmm. I've stood in hours and had to pee in cups while, you know, making that that freedom of choice, right? Mm-hmm. Fighting for the freedom of choice. I think what is different coming from a very politically active country where our kids are taught in school are about how to protest and be active in political scenes and coming to the US was that's the notion I got that the small win here seems to be the dest- the destination right, right. rather than the final destination and the priestess path is uh you're still on the journey. <laughs> <laughs> We, we, well, we you're just got knocked back to the beginning. You're not back to the beginning. And here's yeah. why you're not back to the beginning. You're, here's why you're not back to the beginning, but you're still in the middle ground. Because even within the tarot, those fives, the middle path of a suit, those fives have an uncertain outcome, right? Okay, and- let's back up a little bit because we're going to yeah. jump into the middle. Um and I don't know tarot very well, so I can't kind of go along with you. I have to take it step by step. All right. Because I've never used it, you know, and, and in my readings, all of that, it's just pure psychic. So um, I'm going to ask you step by step. Sorry to push you all the way back. That's right. You know, it is kind of what's happening in the world. But um, I do need to take it step by step. So let's talk about the priestess uh, gateways. Mm-hmm. The start okay. of the books, the major yeah. arcana. Yeah, <laughs> step by step. <laughs> so the gateways. In fact, let me just open my book. And then when we get to that part, then we'll, then we we'll tie part. it back in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in the in in the priestess tradition, there are certain things that we must do. So there is ritual and ceremony, which is gateway one, mm-hmm. and that for in the tarot is the magician to the chariot that's the first row the first row of the major arcana where we're learning about rules where we're learning about society where we're learning about who we are and our place in the world we learn rituals from our parents we learn rituals from our places of faith we learn ceremony and in, you know, rites of passage, so to speak, as we grow. Um, I don't think any of us grew up without having some form of uh, family rituals, whether it's they're big at Christmas or they have a big Easter festival or your birthday's a big deal, right? And what's the difference between ritual and ceremony? Ritual and ceremony, here's the way I always look at it. I always see ritual as a little smaller than a ceremony. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> Once but, a full out. <laughs> yeah. I th- to me, that's to me, like everyone's going to have a personal definition, definition, but to me, a ceremony is something that is a lot more labor intensive, whereas mm-hmm. a ritual could be something very, very simple. But then there are some people who are in different practices outside of the priestess path who their rituals might be massive and their ceremonies might be private. So, oh, okay. Yeah. But to me, a ceremony is something that we do really re- on a large scale and it usually involves a lot of other people. And um, costumes. <laughs> like summer solstice to me would be a big ceremony, uh, winter solstice, things like that. But ritual is something that I would do very privately. So it would mm-hmm. be something between myself and and my, you know, and the goddess or the angels or whoever I'm doing that ritual with. Okay, thanks. So, so that would be gateway one. Yeah. And... um you know, before we're we're going to take a break because I'm watching this come up and I'm thinking we're going to get in the middle of something. So let's take a break now and then we'll come back to Gateway 2 and we'll take it from there. So we'll be right back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One thing's for certain. Life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to a view through the veil at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Hi, this is Barb Crowley, and welcome back to Metaphysics of View Through the Veil. And we're talking to Lisa Robertson about her new book, Tarot Priestess. And we've been talking about the three priestess gateways. We've gone through the first one, and we're going to go into number two and three. Okay. Gateway two, you ready? (laughs) (laughs) We're boring ourselves. (laughs) So let's let's go into pilgrimage and rites of passage. You know, pilgrimage, this was one of my favorite gateways to write because I am fascinated by the idea of both an external and an internal pilgrimage. And a pilgrimage is something that has a very definitive start and a very definitive ending. And then mm-hmm. a very definitive middle ground, which kind of brings us back to our conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there, there, is, there is an ultimate destination to which we must travel to. Um, and, and it's interesting because in Gateway 2, we do pass through the wheel of fortune and justice, which is very appropriate for the conversation we've been having. So the pilgrimage actually doesn't stop until we get to temperance, which is the angel of balance and healing and peace right i hope we get there (laughs) we we can't start we can't stop at justice we have to keep we have to keep moving and pilgrimage is not easy when we think about some of the pilgrimages that still happen to this day the camino pass is one of them there's so many people who walk the camino pass every year yeah and they do that yeah Yeah. every every year there's like, like two million people wow. who go to walk that every year in Spain. I think wow. Spain. Yeah. Um, there's also, uh, you know, a couple of others throughout the world that people come to every year to walk, to walk the path to healing, to walk the path to self, whether they've gone through an illness or a breakup or bankruptcy or whatever it is to find that path back to themselves, which is what pilgrimage is about. It's this whole spiritual ritual of walking through your fears and walking through your pain and walking through your suffering and getting to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's gateway two. And I should have pointed out at the very beginning of this, the the path of the priestess isn't unicorns and, uh, you know, flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Although we want it to be, but it's not. <laughs> There's some hard work to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then it once, is a priestess, yeah. It is a priestess path. And then when we get there, we move to, into Gateway 3. And one of the things I love about the Major Arcana um, is that we end temperance and then land at the feet of the devil. So we start Gateway 3 with the devil, mm. right? So it, once, we've had, once we've had justice, once we've had uh, an elevated sense of awareness through the hangman, once we've gone through death and we've been reborn under the angel of temperance and we've had this amazing healing, she plants us right at the feet of the devil. Yeah. And I love that. <laughs> I just love that as a metaphor for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> After the work, here you are. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons the devil in the tarot is often called the great liberator because it's like there you get a choice. 
you get a choice. Are you going to carry on the journey? Are you going to move through this third gateway? Will you walk through the tower moments and release all your preconceived ideals and drop them away so that you will stand raw and wild under the light of the moon? Or will you stay right there with the devil and be locked into the past? So the it gateway- is pretty apropos to our conversation. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> so like this final gateway is our liberating gateway it is our liberating gateway we start with the devil and we end back with the world and in order to get to the world we have to go through the tower we have to go through the we have to go under the moon and look at the shadow self we have to find the light in the stars and you know we have to come out through to the sun stand in the sun and then have that final judgment under the judgment card where Archangel Gabriel or the goddess, in this sense, the goddess says to you, you are back at zero. Can you accept? Can you accept that you have nothing to answer for? Because if you can, the world is yours. Mm. And if you can't, what happens? You go back to gateway one? (laughs) (laughs) More than likely, you probably have to go back to the well, you'll stay there for a bit. You'll stay there for a bit. <laughs> you know, you'll get a breather. You'll get a breather. You'll get another chance. You'll get another chance to like let it go and move on. <laughs> <laughs> and these are these and are these the stages of initiation? These are yeah. These are the first stages along the path of the priestess, right? If you cannot walk the gateways then you're not going to be able to really learn the lessons of the goddess because the goddess is us. The goddess is the earth that we walk on, the starlight that we breathe, the air and the trees and everything. So coming back to the goddess is a coming back to the self. (laughs) And the temples or did I jump ahead? So then we, yeah, we can jump to the temples. Yeah. Because part two, the steps of initiation, really just break down the court cards. And that's the different levels of practice that we come into, whether we're a beginner, whether we're intermediate, what role we're going to take along the priestess path, because not everybody wants to be the priestess. Sometimes they just want to be the, the one who helps the priestess, right? Like we move through the different stages as we feel we need to or as we feel pulled to. There's no push to go all the way to the ultimate level of high priestess, right? You can take your time and play with the stages as you feel appropriate because as we just talked about, because maybe something in those gateways is a little sticky, Okay. right? (laughs) (laughs) You can't get out of that second gateway. (laughs) And then we move into the temples. And the temples were the heart. Oh, wow. Temple one, that temple of Danu, as I said at the in the opening of this, was the hardest temple for me because she wanted me to live every lesson of that temple, every lesson of that card, every lesson that she had. And I remember writing to my editor and I was like, I never, ever thought I would write this kind of letter, but I'm going to need an extension on this book because the goddess slapped me. <laughs> Is that a, And then what did you put? Love, Lisa? <laughs> Send it in? <laughs> She's only giving me, like, she was literally only giving me, like, one or two lines a day of text. And then wow. the message was, you sit with that, and when I feel you've really got it, I'll give you the rest. Wow. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. I'm on a deadline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did Llewellyn take it? <laughs> uh, you know what? They were, my editor was really good about it. She okay. was like, okay, what if we give you another? Well, she said we could give you another year. And I said, no, I don't think it'll be that long. Let's just do yeah. six months. And that was fine. But it was like, I was like, never, ever did I ever think I was going to write an email like that. (laughs) Right. But here's the thing. Maybe the goddess and priestess wanted this at this time. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe it was not just you needed more time. It was like, well, our time is a little bit off. Let's give it another six months. We'll be perfect. (laughs) Right. Because, yeah, maybe so. You know, it is perfect timing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, 
Yeah, it is perfect timing. Um, well, how did you decide which goddesses to you? Well, it, it and wasn't... you know, if I'm jumping you out of a place you want to be, no, just no, 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 ignore no. what I'm asking no. <laughs> and answer a different question. <laughs> One of the things I'm really careful of is I try my hardest to stay within my own cultural heritage when mm-hmm. I write this stuff. And one of the exceptions to that rule was goddess Saraswati in the um, Temple of Swords. And I was I was really reluctant to put her in here because she is a Hindu uh, goddess and I, I, I felt wrong putting her in there. So I actually went and I spoke to a friend of mine who is, a, who is Hindu and um, I told her about this and I said, listen, she's, she's being super persistent to be in this book. Like she says, this is her book. She's meant to be in here. This is her temple. And I'm like, I don't know. Do I as a white woman have the right to do this? And she slapped me upside my head and she says, if this goddess has come to you, you will write her story. Will you dishonor the goddess? Will you will you live in her wrath? And I'm like, oh, hell no. I was like, but I was like, like I, 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 and I wasn't, and it wasn't that I was seeking permission per se, but I did, I, I was very aware of the colonial connection between India and British heritage and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. So I, I just wanted to be make sure I was being respectful when I put her in there. Mm-hmm. But she was another one who really like walked, like whelped me through those paces. Like she was not a forgiving goddess at all. Like I won't say she was compassionate in her teachings either. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you really got beat up by these I did guys. Really get or beat up by this book. You know, yeah. it, hap- it happens every so often. I get a book that I feel was was my personal pilgrimage, mm-hmm. um, and this this was definitely one of them. So this was a book that I feel was my personal pilgrimage, and I guess whoever was is also in the same position or has gone through similar things perhaps this is the book that's speaking to them and that seems to be the case just from the feedback I've gotten from the book already but how was it for you your personal pilgrimage how was that Uh, it it brought up a lot of my personal trauma Mm -hmm. it brought up my abuse it brought up my addiction my homelessness it yeah, all of my faults and flaws were pretty much like whacked me in my face. Like there was no getting away from all the stuff that I had spent an awfully long time beating myself up about. Right. And the journey for me was to learn to forgive myself mm-hmm. and to understand the place that that had in the bigger context of the journey Um, because one of the things I've always had a lot of problems with is you know the whole forgiveness thing you must forgive in order to move on and I've always thought that's really easy for people to say who haven't been abused in a way where it's not humanly possible to like you cannot forgive that monster right right And I always had a problem with that in metaphysical circles because I was like, there is absolutely no way I'm forgiving that person. Yeah. Right. It's not going to happen. I understand that completely. It is not going to happen. There is no world where that is going to happen. So if that means I can't live a a fully fledged spiritual life, whatever that means to you, so be it because it just ain't going to happen. Next time. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I just have to carry this one. But And then I remember uh, reading a book and it was interesting because it wasn't about people. <laughs> it was, it was a, my second love, which is, which is nature. And it talked about, it was talking about something about a, a plant when it has a disease, it cuts us off and it, and it heals itself. It's not about the environment. It's not about anyone else. It's always about self-sustaining and self-healing. And I was like, maybe I could turn that forgiveness shit inward. Mm-hmm. That's the most important place and the hardest. Maybe that's where it's meant to go. So Mm -hmm. this, this writing this book kind of brought up the places that I thought I had done well, but obviously maybe (laughs) I, 
Maybe just like the United States, I'd just taken the small win. <laughs> right, right. Got by. We got by with that one. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's good. I don't think I can do any more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how did it bring it up for you, though? It was it was interesting because it would be little small stuff. Like it would be, I'd be writing something about, you know, the balance and the and the two of swords and then and then like just something from my past would come up and I and I have to admit like it wasn't it wasn't easy because the things I was reliving a lot of the abuse like at night in my in my sleep as I was writing some of this stuff and I was really surprised at how subtle a trigger it was um and you know I'd wake up in cold sweats and I'd jump in the shower and try and scrub the skin clean um and it was one of those things when then I would just get up and I would write I would get up and I would write and I was like this is part of the process because this is part of the journey it's it's meant to be uncomfortable to walk this path is uncomfortable because there's no escaping who I am and what got me to be who I am today and it wasn't about you know it wasn't about being a victim. I think that's what was so great about it. It wasn't about being a victim because I wasn't a victim. I was in, I was very empowered in my vulnerable, uncomfortable state because I was aware of every feeling, but I wasn't allowing it to trip me up in a way where I was dissolving into pieces and not being able to function. That would have been the victim. I wasn't. I was acknowledging it. I was moving through it. I was really uncomfortable, but I was forging ahead and I was doing it in a way that probably wasn't very graceful, but I was doing it anyway. (laughs) Allowing it to heal? Allowing it. And then, well, I guess we'll see if I've healed it. I'll tell you five books from now because I reckon that's about the next time it'll come back up. (laughs) Wow. And we'll have to bring you back for the, um, for the next books because you are like a book factory over there. (laughs) I actually write really, really slow. So that's, it's it's really, yeah, I write really, really slow. I'm actually not a fast writer at all. I can only write like 300 to 500 words a day. That's a lot of words to me. (laughs) That's a lot of words to me. It's mm. not It's not that much. It's not that fast. Like I actually see writers who like, because I, I, I'm in, in a couple of writing groups on Twitter and they're like, oh, I just pumped out 10,000 today. Oh, my manuscript's up to 85,000 and I've only done it in 30 days. I'm like, well, I've written 1,500 words and it took me a month. <laughs> I'd have to quit that writing group. <laughs> That's where I'd go. Oh, quit that. You know, we don't we don't want to be there for that. <laughs> but when you were especially when you were going through this, though, you know, where you were really the priestess was bringing you back to your core, back to what you thought were healed wounds, but were still open wounds and, and, and healing. healing you really step by step as you went through. So um, we've got to get back to the tarot part of this. Um, so what did you use most? What goddesses, you know, um, did you use most? So I stuck with the ones that are in the book and I la- allowed them to teach, to do the lessons, to do the teachings. So there are the four goddesses in this book. There is a goddess, Danu, who is in the pentacles. So she is teaching us about the material world and our physical healing. There is Saraswati, who is the goddess of the Temple of Swords, who is teaching us about our mind and how our mind works and the sharpness of our thoughts and our beliefs and our words. Uh, There is Lilith, who is the goddess of the Temple of Wands, who is teaching us about the wild self and about what the wild, raw self is. That was actually my most healing chapter, and it was the chapter I wrote at the end. Um, Mm -hmm. that really brought it all back to circle for me. But the chapter that was the most transformative and really the most healing was the Priestesses of Avalon, which are the Temple of Cups. That chapter was like like just having a true healing, cleansing moment of letting all of that go finally 
and working in that Avalonian energy was amazing. Really? Mm-hmm. Which, did that take the longest? No, that actually <laughs> took the fastest. <laughs> did it? <laughs> that was the fastest chapter I wrote. And I remember getting to the end of it going, aw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I have to go too. <laughs> what is the role of the fool? The role of the fool in this in this book is ourselves, right? Because the the fool in tarot starts the journey off as this very carefree person, just like we all do at the beginning of a journey, right? We're all carefree. We have no idea what's coming our way. And then as the fool starts to traverse these uh, major arcana cards, the fool starts to realize that maybe this journey isn't quite going to be the way we thought it was going to be. And then, you know, things happen and they don't go according to plan and the fool gets derailed, but the fool finishes the whole pilgrimage and ends up in the world. And that is us. That is our journey. That is our physical expression. We start the world off as the fool. We start all of our journeys off as the fool. And when we end, we definitely have all either ridden that bus and busted all the wheels or, <laughs> or it's <laughs> the wheels on the bus. bus huh? <laughs> The wheels on the bus. <laughs> wow. Um, I now this this book is is for not just for tarot people, but for beginners. Yeah, you know, this book is is not just for tarot. Period. Like tarot is the vessel we're exploring these ideas and the framework of the priestess path but you do not have to have picked up a tarot deck before in order to work with this particular book. It could be the book that initiates you into the framework of tarot. Um, So you don't have to have a tarot experience to work through the lessons. And does, uh, do you have a specific deck that comes with the book or? No, there's no deck. It's, it's to use with whatever deck that you feel you want to take the lessons and the journey with. Mm-hmm. So you can use any deck that speaks to you, basically. Exactly. And that's why I wanted it, because everyone has a different connection to a different deck, depending on the imagery, the energy. Um, sometimes people even use decks based on who created them and the systems or the schools that they're in. So I wanted to keep it as open-ended and as personalized as possible. And um, you put you put out decks because you sent me two, which are fabulous. You sent me the cat and the uh, circus. <laughs> oh, they're my latest two. Yeah, I've got four. Yeah. I've got four decks that are currently out, and I think there's four in progress. I don't know. I've lost count. Oh my god! What are the other two that just came out? I know the so the the, the two that were came out before the two you got are the animal totem tarot and the mermaid tarot, and then wow. last year Cirque. The reason that the Cirque and the cat deck came out so close together is because of the shipping problems. Oh. So Cirque was actually meant to come out eight months before the cat tarot, but because it got delayed and stuck on a ship mm-hmm. and stuff like that, they ended up coming out like only a couple of months away from each other. You got caught in the pandemic with everything else, huh? Yeah. Um, actually, I went right for the cat. You know, it was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, the circus is pretty, but the cat is mine. <laughs> <laughs> the cat deck was fun to create. We had a lot of fun with that deck. But the, the circ deck is, is, is different again, and we don't have time to talk about the complexities of that deck, but that deck was very specifically designed in nature as opposed to the cat deck, which was just fun. <laughs> Yeah, now, but tell me a little bit about that circus deck. We have about two minutes, or three minutes. <laughs> so the, the circus deck, I wanted to create something that challenged perception. Mm. And that was, where do we see our place as the viewer? Where do we see ourselves as being viewed? And what roles do we take when we shift our perception? Hmm. Oh, that's pretty good. I might have to go back and play with that a little bit more. <laughs> but you use two decks. And when I was going through the book, you, you would use more than one deck. 
yeah. when you were working on different things. Yes. And I do that a lot um, where I want to use one deck as like a, a base where like I might have specific cards down and then pick up a totally different deck and then do the reading on top of those cards. Um and the reason I do that is because I don't want to eliminate the base cards. So like, let's just say your base cards are the star or the, and the moon and the sun. I want the opportunity for those cards to come up again if they need to. But if you have already taken them out of the deck, you can't see them. Oh, I see. Oh, that's a good idea. And what decks do you use? <sighs> Depends on what day you catch me on. No, okay. So you don't have any favorites that you go right back to. No, I don't have any favorites. And I think that's one of the things of being a deck creator is you're always looking to see how other people are telling the story. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at other interesting interpretations or different takes. I mean, I don't buy a lot of decks, but I do keep my eye out for creators who are doing something different or engaging or exciting or they're pushing the edges just a little bit. Now, do you grow out of decks and just not use them again? Kind of just grow past them or? No. You you use them all. I use the them ones all. from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I teach a lot. So I tend to rotate my decks for different teaching uh, classes as well. So if we're doing tarot and EFT, there might be a deck that really speaks for that particular group, or if we're doing a healing circle, or if we're building altar work. So my decks get used all the time. So now that's perfect segue into where can we get hold of you <laughs> and where can we get your book and your decks? Well, the books and the decks <laughs> are always on sale at Llewellyn. So I would mm-hmm. always go to the publishers first um, and then you could go to Book Depository or Amazon or your local bookstore. I always tell people go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it for you because a lot of times they don't know about the new stuff. If they don't have a demand, they're not going to order it. So always go right. to your local metaphysical or bookstore and ask them if they can order books for you. Mm-hmm. As for me, you can find me on Instagram, though make sure it's me and not the scammers on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and on my Patreon. That's really where I spent just about all of my time is with my Patreon community. And do you, is that where you do your teaching? That's where I do all my teachings, yes. Yeah. Okay, that's great. And then give me your Instagram name because it's hard to beat the scammer if you don't have the right name. (laughs) It's the Lisa Robertson. Okay. No gaps, no spaces, no hyphens, no weird letters. Just the Lisa Robertson. Okay, that's great. Hey, Lisa, thanks for being on. Loved it as always. <laughs> and uh, have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.